Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! Normally, high fly ball, deep left field. Oh, 27 does it again for this year. Wall sends it well out to left center field, and it's gone. He went to Jared. Way diving catch, Jordan. This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the All Angel Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So after the brawl against the Seattle Mariners, I jumped on the podcast and we kind of talked about the series, but we also talked about the brawl and how we thought it would affect the Angels going forward. And the first test of that was against the Chicago White Sox, who came into Angel Stadium. Honestly, the Chicago White Sox are... Very close to what I think the Angels are when you look at the team and the season they're having so far. Both teams had high expectations coming into this season. Chicago because of what they did last year and the Angels because of who they had, who they added this last offseason. But they both had very high expectations with the extra wildcard spot that both these teams would be competing for a wildcard spot or in Chicago's uh, the division. But they find themselves almost in an identical record in this almost identical spot in the wild card race. So this was going to be a good test to see how the angels bounce back from that brawl against the Mariners. But before, again, before the game even started, the suspensions that you knew were coming down um, were announced by major league baseball. And like I mentioned in the last podcast, it was only a matter of time before these kind of things got announced and you would have people, you know, start missing time. The question was who would be involved, who would be suspended, and for how long? That was the big uh, mystery when it came to everything with the discipline of the um, kerfuffle, if you will, from Sunday. So like I mentioned, Monday before the game started, the punishments came down and the Angels side of it, the punishments read like this. Phil Nevin, obviously the interim head, uh, interim manager, received 10 game suspension um, Angels third baseman Anthony Rendon received a five-game suspension, which in all likelihood will be served at the end or at the beginning of this of next season because it is very likely that he is out this season with that wrist surgery that he had not too long ago. Angels assistant pitching coach, and I believe he's the bullpen coach. You see him out there all the time. Don Dom Chidi uh, received five-game suspension for his actions in the, during the incident and. <laughs> Um, I talked to, I went on Instagram live after this, uh, I believe it was Tuesday to talk about some of these suspensions and everything like that. And if you watch the John boy video on YouTube, 
Um, Dom was definitely in the middle of it, trying to hold the guy down and definitely trying to, um, I don't, I guess trying to hold the guy back, but it looks like he was just trying to hold him down. He was wrestling him and getting dragged all over the place. Uh, now that we are almost a week past that, it's, it's kind of hard not to look back and laugh at some of the things that happened during, um, that altercation with the Seattle Mariners, but continuing on the list, Andrew Wance, uh, the obviously the pitcher who threw at Jesse Winker, received a three-game suspension, and he actually served it. He did not um, appeal it like the other players um, involved in this situation. So Andrew is actually going to be eligible to come back when the Angels take on Houston in Houston starting on Friday. So that suspension has already been um, served, and he's going to be back. Uh, the, but that didn't stop there. Angels pitcher Ryan Tapera received a three-game suspension. Rosselli Glacius received a two-game suspension. And I am very interested to see if, for example, Rosselli didn't do a whole lot in the altercation. He was pointing, yelling, and stuff like that. But as far as physically, I didn't see him do a whole lot. And I think that's why he was so upset about getting tossed is that physically he didn't really do anything. So I'm interested to see if he didn't go on that little, you know, tantrum or whatever you want to call it about throwing the seeds on the field and then the bubble gum on the field. If he would have even got anything at all or if it would have just been, well, he kind of served his time because of the fact that he did get thrown out on Sunday. But both Tapera and Iglesias um, are appealing the suspension. So that's why they were involved in all are in they're eligible for all three games against Chicago getting into two of those games. So that's why certain players were still you you watch some of the highlights like Jesse Winker, uh, PJ Crawford, Julio Rodriguez, those guys were also given out suspensions, but like Iglesias and like Tapera, they are appealing and that's why if you turn on a Seattle Mariner highlight, you might see Jesse Winker or one of these guys because they are appealing and just like the Angels players they have a right to appeal and they can play while it's while that is going on. So after Rossell Iglesias, you also now have Angels uh, bench coach Ray Montgomery received two game suspension. And um, this is one of the funnier parts too. Angels major league interpreter Manny De Camp- Manny De Campo received two game suspension and Angels uh, catching coach Bill Hasselman received a one-game suspension. So, obviously, you have some of the players like uh, Rendon, Tapera, um, Wance suspended, but you also have a lot of their coaching staff suspended. And I think it's pretty funny when you see some of these guys, and some of these guys are older guys, being involved in a bench-clearing situation like that and now are having to pay the price as far as... um, being suspended obviously the 10 game for phil nevin is a huge huge uh suspension something that i have not seen from a manager in a while and just so you guys know and you might not be familiar with it players can appeal because of the players union coaches and managers and even interpreters in this in this um instance they cannot appeal so nevin and a couple of the other coaches were serving their suspensions right away the MLB allowed them to stagger their suspensions a little bit so not all the coaches would be missed all at once. Now, I believe, obviously, um, Manny DeCampo, two games, so he's back. Uh, Ray Montgomery did not have to spend his 
or serve his suspension yet. But I think they said this weekend against Houston he will because uh, they are getting some of their um, their coaches back. So, but Phil Nevin obviously with the big one ten games. To me, that showed that MLB does not want this to happen again. If you remember exactly what happened on Saturday night about Phil um, jawing with the Seattle, uh, I don't know if he was talking to the manager or if he was talking to the pitcher that went up and in on Trout. I don't know exactly who he was yelling at, but you can definitely tell he was having words with someone with the Seattle Mariners. And the actions of him announcing Saturday night that Suarez was going to be the starter on Sunday and then an hour and a half, maybe hour before the game, switching it to an opener um, definitely wasn't a good look for Nevin. And definitely if he wanted to plead um, innocent and didn't know what was going on and that's not the plan and that's, you know, he definitely didn't do a good job of hiding his tracks in that situation. Everything he did looked very intentional whether that's going to give him points with his team or if that's going to, you know, not. And if it's worth it, it's worth it. But on the MLB side, it definitely does look like it was intentional. I think that's why he got a huge 10-game suspension. But for the Angels, those were the suspensions given out Monday before the game against the Chicago White Sox. You knew there would be some suspensions and disciplinary actions because of what happened on Sunday. But that's it managers and coaches are serving them pretty much right now and we'll have to see and hopefully with the Tapera and with the Iglesias hearings the appeal hearings hopefully they get reduced maybe by a game each so you're talking about Tapera then maybe only missing two games and Iglesias maybe only missing one game so that's something that's still kind of out there and that's still something that is um, gonna have a announcement whenever that hearing is. And I'm guessing it's going to be at some point next week, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So again, those suspensions that they are appealing can, you know, do one of two things. They can either stay exactly where they're at. If the arbiter decides that it's fair or it can be reduced. So again, that's something to kind of watch out for in this upcoming week. Um, I don't think they'll make an announcement on the weekends, but Maybe, but yeah, that's something to look out for. And hopefully they do get reduced and we're not missing the back end of the bullpen for more than one game or or two games or anything like that. So again, definitely look out for that. And hopefully that kind of closes the book on this. There's one more kind of fallout for this uh, incident that we'll get to um, a little bit later. But for the suspension part of it and the disciplinary part of it, Um, it seems like it's over. And once those appeals are heard, they can now finally kind of turn the page and move forward. Now, again, angels and Mariners are supposed to lock up again, if you will, in the beginning of August up in Seattle. So it's gonna be really interesting to see how, um, those teams, um, do with each other, uh, you know, back or up there in Seattle at the beginning of August, if everything's going to be nice and chill, or if there's still going to be some kind of resentment for this last weekend. So that's that. That's the suspensions. Those are the games that guys will be missing, both players and coaches. So obviously the Angels took that emotional momentum they had from that incident on Sunday, from that bench clearing brawl, if you will, and and got the win on Sunday. Now, again, how is that going to continue on to the year, 
onto the year, onto the next series, onto the next month. Um, I, again, was one that thought, you know, this could carry the team for a little bit, you know, whether it is um, one series, two series, three series, but I didn't think it's going to be something that's going to be sustainable for a whole month or for a whole season, definitely. So, but what can they do to bounce back and keep that kind of momentum rolling? Well, like I mentioned, Chicago White Sox in town to face the Angels with Noah Syndergaard on the mound and looking for definitely a bounce back type of game, definitely a game where he can prove that he is worth a big contract towards the end of our going into next year. And that's one thing you got to start looking into the, the further and further we get into the season and we get closer and closer to that uh, trade deadline and all-star break is these guys who are on one-year deals, you know, now they are pretty much competing for what they're going to do next year. Now, whether that means Noah comes back to the Angels or goes somewhere else, he needs to start really putting some stuff together back-to-back if he wants to get a big payday from whoever puts it out there. So hopefully now he's going to be able to pitch like I've always had the thing with with Noah Syndergaard since he came to the Angels I think he's a very capable pitcher when he does certain things right when he gets too strikeout happy because of he wants to be old Noah Syndergaard I think it puts him in trouble he walks guys and obviously he's had a really really bad job of keeping guys um, from stealing bases on him and it's no secret I think that is very well known now he is very slow to the plate with men on base. And if you have the right type of guy on base, you know, uh, Tim Anderson, one can be one of them. <laughs> you can definitely steal. You can turn that single into a triple really quickly because of the uh, ab- ability of stealing bases behind Noah Syndergaard. So obviously the main thing is keep guys off base. And I think he does that best when he puts the ball in play and lets his defense behind him work we saw some of his best outings as an angel earlier this year is when he only got maybe five or four strikeouts you know you're not you don't need to go out there and be like an otani and strike out 13 or 12 or whatever noah Syndergaard seems to be doing really really well when he is in that four to five strikeout during the game and he's letting the ball be put in play and his defense is taking care of him so he gets into this game the Angels would strike first in the bottom of the second when another struggling Angel comes up to the plate. Brandon Marsh, you know we love him here. He's been on the podcast since he was in um, single A Inland Empire. And obviously we're always rooting for the guy. But he has been really struggling at the plate as of late. His defense is going to carry him. His defense is going to keep him in that lineup. But in the bottom of the second, it feels like he's finally starting to get out of that slump with this triple slash home run well you'll hear yo two towards right field hit well sheets on his horse going back for it and he leaps up and the catch off his glove walsh is going to score marsh is digging for third he's going to hold up right there and they're calling that a home run off his glove and i think he did in the stands i think it went off a fan's hand off his glove off a fan's hand after review the call on the field is overturned one run will score the batter is placed at third base. So, yeah. So, it ended up being a triple, maybe less than a foot away from being a home run. But I tweeted it out when it happened. I'm sure Brandon will take a triple. He's been really, like I said, really struggling at the plate. And I, I'm sure that had to feel good to get that kind of slump and get the ball rolling 
as far as, you know, putting the ball in play. And, you know, his biggest thing with him is obviously the strikeouts. But the, the, the funny part, or not the funny part, but the crazy part is that he still has really good recognition of the strike zone. Most of his strikeouts have been just missing. He, it's it's a strike. It's going to be a called strike. He swings and misses. So I don't know. Again, I've never been a hitting coach. I do not pretend to know what a hitting coach does. But um, I don't know if it's just late recognition or just you know not being able to to catch up to what looks like how guys are pitching him and that's high with 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 fastballs. But he's still able to see if a, a pitch is going to be a ball or a strike. His recognition of of the ball strike zone is still very good, but. He sees it. He's just not able to put the ball in play, and it feels like for this game, he was able to to put the bat on the ball a lot. So that ended up scoring one, and with the very next guy at bat, Andrew Velasquez, uh, I guess finishes the job because it was really close to a home run. Right up the middle, goes off Giolito, and that's going to score a run. RBI single. Chilito tried for the kick save. 2-0 Angels. So the Angels would go up 2-0 after that single by Velasquez. Again, kind of finishing the job and letting Marsh come around to home to score because obviously a lot of people thought that was a home run. Noah Syndergaard had a very, very good beginning to this game. I think the first two innings, maybe even the first three innings, his pitch count in those first couple innings uh, were under like 10 pitches. I think the first inning he threw eight pitches and then like the second inning he might have thrown nine pitches. So very, very efficient. He looked very, very good early and that was the kind of Noah Syndergaard that I'm sure Angels fans and um, Noah Syndergaard fans were really, really hoping for. He did end up getting into a little bit of trouble in the top of the sixth inning. Um, after getting the first out, he would end up walking Tim Anderson and after that, he would give up a double to Andrew Vaughn, which would score Anderson, making the score 2-0. But like any other great outing by a pitcher, you always are going to need some defensive help. And like I mentioned, Brandon has been really, really struggling you know, at the plate. But one thing you cannot deny him is that he has been above average gold glove level even at uh, in the outfield. And he shows it again with this play. There's the 0-2. That's driven towards the gap. And Marsh on his horse. Oh, that was just tremendous defense. Fantastic catch. Saves the run. We have two outs here in the sixth. So it was a great play by Brandon. Saving, definitely saving a run with that play. But unfortunately, the very next at bat, Jose Abreu. Um, again, this this team, this Chicago White Sox team reminds me so much of the Angels. So you, you look up and down the lineup and you're thinking like these guys can match. There are some names in this lineup. And for whatever reason, they have not been able to put it together for the full season. But Jose Abreu is, again, is one of those guys where you feel like he can kind of wake up at any point. Well, he hits a double that would end up scoring one run to tie the score at 2-2. Noah Syndergaard would end up going uh, into the seventh where he would give up another run to make the score three to two. And after that seventh inning, his night was done. He ended up going seven innings pitch, six hits, three runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. So all in all, a very good performance by Noah Syndergaard. It started off really strong and, and it made you feel like 
he was gonna go he ended up going seven innings so i can't say it felt like he was gonna go deep in in the game because he did seven innings for a pitcher is deep but there were some times where you felt um that it was gonna just fly through and there, he wasn't gonna be put in a whole lot of pressure but like i mentioned in the sixth inning it is it is it him being tired? Is it the guys getting around maybe the second or third time seeing him that are able to make adjustments that were able to put the ball in play a little more? But either way, Syndergaard had a very, very good outing. Again, seven innings pitched, six hits, three earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. But he did leave the game down by one. But in the bottom of that inning, the bottom of the seventh, the team would rally and get two more on the board with this Taylor Ward double. Oh, that's definitely going to get a run in. That's hit well. Going back on it. Luis Robert unable to make the catch. Harrison scores. Brandon Morris trying to take the lead. He tries to slide. A collision at the plate. He is safe. Angels go up 4-3. to three. And if you saw this game and you saw the play at the plate, you have to love the fact that, again, Brandon Marsh going in head first, getting into a little bit of a collision with the catcher, but still able to score to take the lead for the Angels. A very, you know, a, a, a play you don't see very often, a collision at the plate, even though it wasn't very a hard collision, but you definitely have to worry about any kind of little tweak or little jam of the shoulder that was was there in front of Brandon at the time when he, again, came home to make that fourth run. Um, so like I mentioned, Syndergaard would be done at the end of that point. Tapera, who is appealing his suspension, that's why he's eligible to play, would come in and and hold down the eighth inning for Iglesias, who would end up closing the game, and the Angels win four to three. Um, the momentum, I guess, keeps on going. The 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 emotion keeps on going, but Noah Syndergaard, again, very, very good outing. Tapera, Iglesias, absolutely locked down at the back end of that um bullpen for the angels and i mentioned you know at the beginning brandon had been struggling this had to feel good and hopefully this is a sign of things to come he would end up going three for four being two runs one rbi um this guy brandon again he's going to be in the lineup because of his defense he has very very good defense you have to hope that at this point you know all-star break or past all-star break he's going to be one of those secondary guys that can step up and if the angels are going to make a very good push uh for the playoffs that he's going to be as long along with you know maybe a couple of other guys have to be the reasons why they're going to they're going to make that push obviously trout and otani are going to be them but they can only do so much and we'll get to otani what he's done um in this month alone later but like i mentioned someone from this like second level guys has to step up and be a little bit more consistent. Renhifa, Walsh, um, uh, Marsh, whoever, you know, uh, Wade, Stassi, whoever, but you definitely are going to need someone to kind of step up and take the lead for the second level guys or the, you know, the, the other guys, if you will, but great win again, coming back, getting up early and then coming back, um, Angels win four to three. So now we go into the next game of the series on Tuesday. Again, um, injuries kind of pop up before this game, in which we'll get to a little bit later. But um, you had Chase Silth Seth on the mound coming back up from Double A Rocket City to you know try to bounce back. Obviously, when he made his debut against 
the Oakland A's earlier this year. He had a very good debut, but ever since then, it's been kind of rocky for him. And part of that is obviously because of the fact that he's young, he's developing still. And once people understand what you're doing, they're able to sit on stuff or let stuff go. Now it's going to be up to you to kind of develop your secondary stuff. And I think obviously there is a lot of promise there with Chase. There's obviously a lot of potential there, but putting him in these situations, I'm not necessarily sure is the best for his development. I don't know if it's better to have him down at double um, a mobile and, and, and just continue to develop and continue to learn. But either way, he got called up for this game and, Early in the game, he was actually doing really, really well. He only really got into trouble when the, the the lineup started flipping over and getting that second time through the lineup. But in the bottom of the third, Angels had a very good, very good inning, and it all started with Andrew Velasquez's fifth home run off of Johnny Cueto to make the score 1-0. A couple batters later, Mike Trout would come up and do Mike Trout things, hitting a home run, making his 23rd of the year. And before Mike Trout can even take off the cowboy hat. You had a back-to-back shot with Shohei Otani, his 17th of the year. So at the end of the third uh, inning, you had the score 3-0 Angels. And you really started had to start feeling good and, and feel like, yes, this momentum is going to keep on growing and, and keep on developing. But unfortunately, in the top of the fifth, like I mentioned, when the lineup started flipping over on Chase a couple times, you can tell that the guys were really starting to kind of barrel up some of those um, some of those pitches, and that's exactly what happened. After the leadoff strikeout in the fifth, you end up giving two back-to-back hits, the second one being a double that would score um, Lurie Garcia to make the score 3-1. to one. And obviously right after that, Josh Harrison ends up hitting a home run to make it 3 three and you would make uh, the angels would make a pitching change after that which would close the book on chase silseth silseth uh he went four in a third innings five hits three runs six strikeouts one home run so again like i mentioned he looked really really good early is just now going to see how he can develop when he starts facing lineups you know the second time through you know that curveball or that or that um, fastball isn't going to look is not going to look the same the second time through. These guys are going to be able to start sitting on stuff, and um, you can tell too in some of the replays they showed on um, on Bally's with Gooby talking about that he just flat out missed locations on some of those hits. Uh, you could see Suzuki. Um, aiming down on the ground and tapping his glove on the ground, meaning, you know, I want it low in the zone. And if it's out of the zone, it's out of the zone. And then he would just miss up. And that was kind of their go zone for the Chicago White Sox that ended up putting the ball in play and obviously end up putting the ball over the fence. So obviously there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be worked with Chase, but you can definitely see the potential and what could be in the years going forward. So I wouldn't take too much into this start or the last start or even possibly his next start because it is still a constant evaluation a constant evolution when it comes to these pitchers and and how young they are so obviously that didn't go the way that the angels wanted to but obviously uh oliver otega would come up he would end up giving up a home run to luis roberts that would score to making the score five two Chicago White Sox and it was just not a very good a day after that Chicago would end up scoring five runs in both the fifth and the seventh inning and adding one more in the 
eighth inning, and the final score ended up being 11-4 to Chicago. Um, Pitching-wise, it just did not click. You look at the guys they used um, in this game, guys who are very young or had just been struggling. You look at, again, Chase, very young. Oliver Ortega, very young. Loop, struggling. Elvis Paguero, young. Jaime Berea, young. So obviously a learning moment for all of these guys, and you're hopefully that they're able to learn from him and move forward, especially Elvis Paguero. And we'll talk about what we ended up seeing from him on the mound again at the end. We're going to try to finish off this last game of the Angels, and we'll get to all of the the new stuff at the end of the podcast. But obviously Elvis had his issues and we'll talk to, about that in a bit. So right now the angels are tied one, one in the series. They went for the series win, which would be the first win in some time. I, I didn't even look up, but I probably should have won the last time they won a series at home, but you can definitely as angel fans know, it was quite a while ago, but they had their best opportunity of doing it because Shohei Otani was on the mound. And if you've been following what he's been doing in this month, he's been doing everything at the plate, on the mound, everything. And he might even be serving drinks in his off time. I don't know, but he has been a very, very dominant force for the Angels um, this season. And going into this game, that's exactly what you were hoping for. And in the bottom of the first, they let Otani they let Otani breathe a little bit because they were able to get on the board early, and it all started with this Mike Trout double. And two one driven by Mike Trout towards the gap in left center. That gets down. Taylor Ward is going to be set, rounding third. The throw to the plate, not in time. He's in there. RBI double for Mike, and it's one nothing Halos. And after Jared Walsh grounds into a fielder's choice later in the inning, that would allow. Mike Trout to score on an error. The score was 2-0 Angels after the first inning. And the biggest thing with Shohei Otani has always been his pitch count. He is a very good strikeout pitcher, but for a lot of guys, those strikeouts also come with high pitch counts. Some of the games that he's pitched recently and the one that comes to mind was his last start where he got uh, 13 strikeouts. He was able to go very deep in the game for a couple reasons. And I think the main reason was the times that he wasn't getting strikeouts, he was getting guys to put the ball in play like the third or fourth pitch in that at bat. He wasn't this is the worst thing in the world to let a guy get into a, like a full count and then start fouling balls off. And then, yeah, maybe you do end up striking him out, but it might have took him eight or nine pitches to do so. When he was facing the Kansas City Royals and he was able to get 13 strikeouts, the times that he didn't get strikeouts, the guys were trying to jump on his first pitch and rolling over, popping up. So when he wasn't striking out, you only had like a two two pitch at bat, and that let him get deeper into the game. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what happened in this game. Even though he was really dominant, he was not able to go as deep as the last time he pitched, which was eight innings. This time he was only able to get to the sixth inning, he ended up going five and two-thirds, five hits, one walk, 11 strikeouts, but he did all that on 108 pitches. His very last batter was a strikeout, but if you see the pitch, you see the slider that he threw to get the guy out, I it was one of those things where I don't know how or why the guy swung at it. It was very high, very um, in, but he got the swing and miss, but you can tell that 
the fatigue was starting to play a part in this game and you didn't want to allow Chicago to get back into it. It's the last thing you want to do. You have a team on the ropes. You want to be able to finish it. So in the bottom of the six, the Angels kept on adding on to give Shohei the opportunity to get another W with this Luis Renjifo home run. Center field, Renjifo straight away, and he hits it well. Luis Renjifo! See ya! Two-run home run! Four-nothing Angels! And that is one thing the Angels failed to do, I believe, on Tuesday is they scored early. They got those three runs early, but they were not able to add on after that. I've always said, it's always been a thing of mine, you need to add on. These these innings where you score three, four, five runs in a single inning are great, but I never feel comfortable that that's going to hold. Partly because, yes, the Angels have had their issues with the bullpen, but another is just because you allow a team to, to shake it off, you kind of take your their best shot, and now it's time for you to respond. And if you don't keep on you know, jabbing them, they're going to come back, and a lot of good teams will. So after Shohei was done on the mound, uh, Kihara comes in. He ends up getting that last out in the sixth inning, but also throws the seventh inning. He goes uh, one and a third with uh, one hit, one strikeout, and then the back end of the bullpen was the same as Monday at the pair come in for an inning, only giving up one hit and one run um, on a wild pitch or a pass ball, I think it was. So it wasn't an earned run, but still, Chicago got on the board to make it 4-1. to one. He ends up closing them out after that, and then obviously Rossell Iglesias comes in in the ninth, only walking one and striking out two, but still does not allow a single run. Angels win 4-1 to one against Chicago White Sox and are finally win a series at home, finally win a series in general to close off the month of June. That has been very, very unkind to the Angels, but it's a Big, big momentum boost and definitely something you need going into Houston to start the the month of July and start the weekend on Friday. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about all the other things that happened during this series, during these last three days and a little bit of injury news and injury updates. So hold on. We'll be right back after this. Today's episode of the All Angels podcast is brought to you by SportsDrink, your digital water cooler. SportsDrink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like SportsDrink without the vowels. And we are back. So obviously there's a lot that has happened away from the field during um, these last couple days. Um, Some of it on the field, but a lot of it off the field too. So let's go with a little bit of off the field news, if you will. After uh, Monday's game, before Tuesday's game, it had come out that Archie Bradley will be missing at least, at least four weeks. And I say at least four weeks because they said he will start throwing again in four weeks. No clue how long it will take him to build up arm strength in that meantime. But Archie Bradley is going to be a huge, huge um, part missing for this bullpen, especially he seemed like he was starting to kind of get back into form and coming in in very stressful situations. And the reason why he is on the IL and missing four weeks is because of a fractured elbow. And you ask yourself, wow, 
Where did he get that fractured elbow? Oh, yeah, that's right. There was a fight on Sunday. And again, if you watch the John Boy video, this is what happened. Not Now, you might ask, who's he charging? Well, all of them, just all the angels. Besides Archie Bradley, he fell over. Uh, tough, <laughs> tough dismount for Bradley. So, yes, Archie tripped getting over the rail of the dugout. Um, I, I, can, I feel like I can kind of laugh about it now just because obviously you don't want anyone on your team to get injured or no one that's, you know, really a valuable piece of the of a bullpen to get injured. But the fact that it happened and in the way it happened made me kind of laugh just because it's something that like I would expect myself or any kind of like normal person to do. Oh, you tripped over a rail and you fractured an elbow. Okay, that's sure that happens all the time. But for a top of the level athlete to do that and get caught on video doing it uh, makes you kind of laugh. And I'm sure um, Archie's upset that it happened, but I'm sure also guys are probably giving him a hard time about it in, in, in the locker room. And it just is adds to another very long list of kind of weird, random baseball injuries throughout the years. Um, you know, from, I believe guys like slipping while washing their car, washing their truck to sneezing and pulling a muscle, I mean, I'm sure you can Google, um, you know, injuries, freak injuries in baseball, and you'll probably have a, <laughs> quite a bit of uh, injuries to choose from. Even the Angels this year, you talk about Austin Warren and bad luck to taking the ball to the nose during the Boston series. Um, totally a fluke kind of injury, but still happened. And that's exactly what kind of happened with Archie Bradley. Just a fluke type of injury, but it still happened. And we'll see how this plays out again. Four weeks before he even picks up a ball. So it's going to be some time. Obviously, it's going to be in some time in August. And honestly, if the Angels do become sellers between that time, Archie, I think, would have been a guy that you might have wanted to move or could move for something. Again, I don't know how much you would have been able to get from him, but he could definitely could have been a part of something to get uh, prospects back if the Angels were going to go down that route. Now that he's going to be missing four weeks, that's kind of out of the question now. And you just don't know how he's going to respond uh, coming back. It was his right elbow too. So his throwing elbow, which kind of makes it a little more questionable about how his return is going to be. All reports though say that it's not going to affect his throwing going forward, but it's still one of those things where I'll believe it when I see it. Anytime you do anything to the arm or the elbow or the shoulder or the hand of, of what you use most often, obviously the pitching hand, um, it's always going to be a red flag to me, and we're going to have to see how that kind of plays out for the Angels going forward. So some more injury news. Um, Austin Warren just talked about him, had a rehab stint out in Salt Lake. It went very well. Um, no word yet on when he's going to be activated, but I would think that if it's not with the Astros this coming series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Angels have an off day Monday, and are in Miami for Tuesday, Wednesday. So I do believe that at some point during this road trip, Austin Warren will be activated off the IL, you know, barring any kind of setback. But like I mentioned, he pitched, I believe it was Monday in Salt Lake, and no negative news have come out since then. So expect him to bounce back with the Angels relatively soon. Another last injury note was going to be, obviously, David Fletcher, the guy that's been missing quite a bit of time since the beginning of the year with surgery, I believe hip surgery. Um, there is now 
video of him taking ground balls before the game the last couple of days. I believe he's also been in the cage taking BP. The ideal kind of situation for him right now as far as timeline to return is late July. So obviously after the All-Star break. So again, something to kind of keep your eye out for the more and more he gets work done. You can probably expect him to do some kind of a rehab stint, whether that's with AAA Salt Lake or if that's with um, Single A Inland Empire. But you have to think Fletcher is going to be going on some kind of uh, uh, rehab assignment. And when that happens, you can maybe then start counting down the days until he joins the Angels. But for as much time as he's missed, you have to um, really uh, expect him to be in a minor league uh, town, again, either out here in California or possibly out in Salt Lake. So, Another thing that, again, these are just kind of topics that are off the top of my head that came through during this last uh, couple of days. Obviously, the month has ended. Angels going 8-18 and 18 for the month of June. Definitely not great. Definitely not what the Angels expected um, when they started this season. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to have to change as far as, you know, personnel maybe or just maybe personnel stepping up and being better and being what the angels thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year and one guy that's really looking for looking to bounce back after a tough month of june is michael lorenzen june was not nice to him to say the least he ended up going pitching four games only in winning one so his record was one and three only 20 innings pitched so he averaged five innings per outing ERA 6.75, so obviously not great, and it's BABIP. And if you're not sure what BABIP is, is the batting average of the balls in play. So, you know, it's one thing for him to get guys to strike out or anything like that, but if the ball is put in play, they are getting on, they're hitting 350. So there is, that is very high. Obviously, um, you want that a little bit lower, but again, with his ERA being 6.75, you kind of expect it. And the hard hit rate is 37%. So when guys are making contact, they're making solid contact. And that's something that needs to kind of come down a little bit. But if Michael Lorenzen can turn it around and be the Michael Lorenzen that was obviously in the month of um, like April and May, this that will go a long way for the Angels to have a very productive July. He's a guy that you look forward to be that third or fourth guy in the rotation and in the month of June he was just was not really productive and hopefully new month can turn the page and become that pitcher that at the beginning of the year surprised a lot of people if you remember when he got signed and they were talking about him stepping into the role of a starter a lot of people were surprised by that but shortly once the season started you started seeing why he was given that opportunity and now you're just hoping that he's able to get back to that in the month of July. So hopefully Michael Lorenzen is able to um, get back to his old form from earlier in the year. But one guy that is starting to heat up a little bit is Luis Renjifo. And if you're looking at just his last stats and his last homestand, the last nine games, his average is 303 slugging 546 and on base plus slugging of 888. And that means with that includes two home runs, 
and four RBIs. So a guy that has been really struggling earlier in the year seems to have found something in this last homestand. Now let's see how it goes against Houston and let's see how it goes on the road, transfers on the road. He seems to be playing better on the defensive side of the ball as well, but a guy that has started to kind of heat up a little bit. And like I mentioned with Brandon Marsh, you know, you do need some of these younger guys to start stepping up and developing into very capable and, and consistent players. Um, the second level of this team, you know, obviously you take Trout and Ward and, and Otani away. This sec, the second level, the next level, these someone needs to step up and kind of um, be the dependable part of that group. And hopefully, you know, this is a good start for Renhefel to, to to be that. And one thing I really found, really found uh, surprising because I didn't really think about it until I started doing his research for his numbers this last series because I knew they were good. Luis Renhifo is the second youngest position player on the Angels active roster right now. The youngest being Brandon Marsh. So Luis Renhifo feels like he's been around forever. Luis Renhifo feels like a name that, the, that Angel fans have heard forever. And, and, and I'm guessing if you go up to an average Angel fan and ask the age of Luis Renhefeld, they're probably going to say like 27, 28, just because it feels like he's been around for so long. He's only 25 years old. He's, he's, he's again, Brandon Marsh is 24, so he's the youngest, and he still has a lot of developing to do. But right behind him is Luis Renhefeld. He is still very young. He is still have not, you know, obviously got to his prime yet. Not every guy coming out of the out of the minors is going to be Mike Trout, where his prime is that 22, 23, or the beginning of his prime. If you know Luis Renjifo, some of these guys take a little bit longer. But I was very surprised to see his age because he has felt like a guy that has been around for a very long time with the Angels, and for him to have struggles during the beginning of the year to kind of get his um momentum going and again you you do need x amount of that bat to start feeling comfortable about um you know about who he is and, and what his approach is going to be at at the plate and hopefully this is going to be an approach that continues to develop and continues to carry this team because let's be honest and, and this is going to be a part of a bigger conversation i'm going to have later because i feel like i don't need to have this conversation right now because it's going to be relevant until the end of the year and that's re-signing shohei otani Yes, Shohei Otani is going to demand a ton of money, and yes, he deserves a, a ton of money. But if you're thinking about trying to build a team around a big budget of Otani and a big budget of uh, Rendon and a big budget of um, Trout, you're going to need guys like Renhifo who are young, cheap, and are developed into the system to perform at a high level. When you have those three guys, Rendon, Otani, and Trout, under contract with the contracts that you know, obviously Rendon and Trout have and what Otani can have, you're not going to be able to go out on the free agent market and start signing these established veterans to fill in other gaps you have around your team. You're going to have to lean on your farm system. You're going to have to lean on your development to fill up those gaps because they're going to be cheap and you can do that. So like Renhifo, for example, if he can develop to be a very good second baseman and two years, three years, and he can fill that gap. And now Fletcher, maybe now your everyday shortstop. That's the kind of moves that you need. If you're going to build a team around three guys and make so much money, you can't afford to go and, and fill gaps with veteran players that are going to, again, have a high 
um, salary demand. And yes, yes, okay, yes. Well, if Artie goes over the salary or the luxury tax, we can do it. And yes, okay, that's fine. But we know who Artie is and what he does, or as a matter of fact, doesn't do. I talked to Sam Blum on this very podcast, and he even said Artie was one of the owners that voted against raising the luxury tax. Why? Because he doesn't want to spend more money. So if you're going to come with an argument saying, like, well, if Artie spends, guess what? He's not. So let's just, and if I if rainbows fly out of my ass, I'll, I'll be, you know, a unicorn. Whatever. That's not going to happen. Artie spending more is not going to happen. So if you're realistically going to build a team around Otani, Trout, and Rendon because of the budget, because of the money they, they demand, then you're going to need guys like Renhifo and Marsh and Joe and, you know, these guys coming up, uh, Kai Bush, these pitchers, Detmers, to have very big parts of this team and outperform what they're making. That's how you make a good team. You build it by developing players. You don't build a good team by buying it. And I've always said that. You build depth. You don't buy it. And I think Angels are finally starting to kind of develop a little bit of that in the minor league system right now. You look at the Trash Pandas. You look at some of the other minor league teams, minor league guys moving around. And it's finally starting to develop a little bit into a good minor league system that has taken forever to get to that point. So, like I mentioned, Rahifo is a guy that I think is going to be very valuable for this team going forward. You need to keep your young talent and you need to hope, hope that it develops to be good enough pieces to put around Otani, Rendon, and Trout. Because guess what? You're not going to be able to afford much more. You're not going to be able to afford two top-end pitchers to, to surround Otani because it's not in the budget. You better hope those two top pitchers are Detmers and Bachman or Detmers and uh, um, Griffin Canning if he comes back or C-Rod if, when he comes back. Those are going to be those guys around them, and you have to really hope that they're going to be developed into those type of players because, again, you're not going to be able to go out and get a Scherzer type of pitcher on a free agent deal with all these guys or with all this money tied up into three guys. It's kind of the bed you made. Now the angels have to kind of lie in it. So hopefully this means the young guys are really going to be able to step up and develop and do their part going forward. Because I think if you're trying to sell Otani on staying with the angels, you have to sell them on that. You have to sell them on look at these guys coming up. And you know what? Otani can very easily look back at the past of Angel's development and say, yeah, but look at what you guys haven't done in the last X amount of years. And he'd be very justified in saying it and doing it. But you got to hope Harry is a good enough salesman to say, yeah, but that wasn't me. That wasn't me running it. Now it's me running this organization, me putting my you know, player development people in the right spot. So that's how you get Shohei to stay. You give him the money that he deserves, but you also have to sell him on look what I'm doing or look what's coming up. Because these players are smart. These players know that if I take X amount of money, that means X amount of money is not available to be dispersed amongst other guys. They're smart. They know that. So the best way you're going to keep Shohei Tani is if you sell him on Look what we can get and look who we can get for cheap. You've seen Detmers. You've seen these other guys come up, even for a cup of coffee. But you've seen what the potential can be. And I think that's the best way you bring Otani or you sell Otani about coming back with the Angels. Now, is it the smartest move for him to come back with the Angels on a huge contract like that? 
That's a discussion for another day, another podcast. We can go back and forth whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's going to be a whole different topic on a whole different podcast. So that's kind of my feelings about Otani resigning and the young guys, Renhefel being one of those guys and how they're going to play with this team going forward. Another thing, oh, before we get to the big thing, the Elvis Paguero and the Matt Weiss thing, uh, quick update on Reed Detmers. He did have a start out in AAA. I believe it was Wednesday night. And if you know anything about the AAA, um, uh, AAA uh, surroundings of stadiums, it is a very, very hitter-friendly park. So, yes, the competition might not be great, as far as Detmers has should dominate these guys, but in some of those stadiums, you just get any kind of ball up in the up in the sky, it's going to carry. But with that being said, Detmers had a very good outing um, on Wednesday, going six innings, giving up three hits, only one run, walking one, and striking out fourteen. That one run off a home run, which, like I mentioned before, in that PCL league, it's very easy to give up home runs. You don't need a whole lot. And unfortunately, though, with Detmers, he's the type of guy that has, that's been his issue, giving up the long ball. But like I mentioned, six innings, um, only 90 pitches. So they didn't really extend him really long. They didn't really need to extend him really long. But you definitely have to like what you saw from Detmers out there in AAA Salt Lake. So he'll be back. I have no doubt in my mind that he will be back with the Angels at some point this year. All right, so there was a big, big stir after Tuesday's game against the Chicago White Sox, and it revolved around two guys, and eh, kind of three. Um, Elvis Paguero, tipping pitches. Obviously, that's something where, if you're not familiar with the term, is that if you're a pitcher and you throw, let's say, curveball, fastball, make it simple, it's okay with two. If you're tipping a pitch, that means you're doing something different between the two before you throw the ball so the batter can pick up on that and already know what is coming before you actually throw that. And that's exactly what Elvis Paguero was doing. On one pitch, he would hold his glove about belt high. On another pitch, he would hold his glove about mid-chest between, you know, kind of between his belly button and his chest. So definitely a big difference as far as uh, placement of the glove. And... There's ways to fix that. There's ways to work around that. I don't know if you guys remember, um, what was his name? Travis? No, it wasn't Travis. Blake Parker. Blake Parker was with the Angels organization for a little while. He was a reliever. He had a very interesting ritual, not ritual, but like a windup where he would get the, he would get the, the pitch and then he would like kind of move his glove around three or four times. And you're kind of like, what is he doing? But, that was his way of not tipping a pitch because when he was younger in the league, he found out that he was moving his glove a certain way when he was throwing a certain pitch. But now if he moves his glove every single time, there's no way of picking up what he's doing. Well, in this time, again, Elvis Paguero tipping pitches leads to a very bad outing, which at any pitcher and at any level, you tip pitches, you're not going to do very well. The news part of it kind of came after the fact. When um, video came out showing Mike Trout out in center field and him seeing it from from his point of view, obviously from center field, you're looking straight at the pitcher. He can see it happening as it's happening. So 
there's a video of him kind of miming what the difference is because he saw it. Second part of this is Matt Weiss, um, pitching coach for the Angels, comes out that he wasn't he didn't talk to Elvis Paguero after the game about this, or even come out to the mound and talk to him about that, which is a very very bad look for a pitching coach and a pitching coach Matt Weiss, who, um, depending on who you listen to, whether you listen to fans or listen to what you're hearing, um, can possibly be on the hot seat. You know, it's not it's not uncommon, it's not unheard of that when a manager obviously leaves, gets fired, or whatever, that that whole staff is now kind of under the microscope because they are the next ones out at the end of the season if they don't feel if the front office doesn't feel like they're doing an exceptional job of whatever they're coached to do. So obviously, like I said, not a great look that there was lack of communication between Elvis and um Matt Weiss. That is a very kind of damning statement for that pitching coach. And I've I've been for as much as people want to say that Weiss needs to be gone and stuff like that, I've actually been a fan of Weiss because I understand the situation he was put into. If you remember two years ago, Matt Weiss was supposed to be the bullpen coach, supposed to be kind of the second in command when it comes to the pitching coach situation. But the Angels hired Mickey Calloway. Mickey Calloway got into some not great, <laughs> not great situations with a cell phone and a certain body part of his, and he had to be let go. And this was, I believe, with what two games before the start of the season. It was like during that freeway series part before the start of the season. And by that point, obviously, way too late in in the off season to do any kind of hiring. Because if anyone with any kind of skill or resume pitching coach wise was already scooped up on a team so matt weiss stepped in got a promotion you know if you will and became the angels pitching coach and at the time i think early in the year you saw a lot of his struggles as far as um again communication um you know it just didn't seem like he was going out to the mound and and whatever the next thing was wasn't working right but there was something that clicked there was something for me that clicked at the end of that 21 season where it seemed like, wow, these guys are better. They've kind of almost turned a corner. You could say that about Patrick Sandoval. At the time, you could say the same thing about Alex Cobb. Um, but there was something about, wow, these guys are actually pitching better. And I think if you look at the second half pitching stats of the Angels, they were a lot better. And I think Matt Weiss deserved getting another opportunity this year, especially with the crazy amount of turnover they've had at the pitching coach, which in the last you know handful of years. But I think he deserved it. And it's kind of interesting to me, and this is just me, and you might not disagree, you might not agree with my theory on it, but it's interesting to me how as fans, we allow players to develop. You bring a player up from the minors, he might not you might struggle he might not do very good but you also kind of see like wow but you know give him a couple years he's gonna be something to wreck to 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 be reckoned with give him a couple years give him some more experience he's gonna be really good but it's interesting to me how fans don't give that same kind of leeway to coaches or managers 
and especially like a, a coach like Matt Weiss, he, which he, he didn't have a ton of major league experience, if any major league pitching coach experience before this. And for us to assume that he's going to be a finished product at this point, him as a coach, would almost be like us expecting two years in that Reed Detmers is a finished product already. I don't think that's fair. Now, has he made mistakes? And this Elvis Paguero one is probably one of the biggest mistakes he's made as an Angels pitching coach. Absolutely. There's no way around it. Will that cost him his job? Probably. And there's no way of defending it. But if you're going to sit there and say Matt Weiss doesn't deserve to be a pitching coach in Major League Baseball ever again, I would highly disagree. There's a very good chance that he's probably going to go, if he does get let go by the Angels, there's a very high, high opportunity that he probably does go to another team and becomes a pitching coach. And who knows what happens there? A lot of what the pitching coaches have to do, and I heard this on on, on a podcast, and they're talking about just kind of pitching coaches in general, because if you haven't heard or seen, a lot of these pitching coaching types that are good at their job, they're not coming to the major leagues. The Twins, the Twins pitching coach, Minnesota Twins, in the playoff hunt. I think they're, I actually think they're in the playoffs right now. Like if the season ended, they're in the playoffs. Their pitching coach left before the All-Star break to go be the pitching coach. The pitching coach, not the manager, not the bench coach, not whatever. To be the pitching coach for LSU, Louisiana State University. And why, you ask? A, or yeah, A, I'll go ABC this time. Usually I go one, two, three. But A, more pay. B, easier schedule. C, less stress. So if you're telling me I can get I can do the same thing I'm doing at a different place for more money, less stress and better and um, less travel, more family time. Heck yeah, I'm going to do it. And you're seeing that more and more with these big baseball factories in college. You know, you have, like I mentioned, LSU, Vanderbilt. Um, shout out to Ole Miss winning the College World Series. Ole Miss, a lot of SEC types. They are, you know, they're bringing in a bunch of money. They're spending it on coaches. And with the current kind of analytic part of baseball being what it is, the front offices are spending a ton more money on um, research guys, research and develop, uh, analytic guys, you know, nerdy type guys, I guess is a better way of putting it. And they're not spending a lot of, a lot of money on the on-field part of it. So I guess my biggest point is Matt Weiss. Does he survive this? Probably not. But as fans, I think it's smart of us to understand that, hey, there is a lack of really good pitching coaches out there. And a lot of it depends on your players. We angels have not had the best pitching development, the pitching prospects as other teams. And the way that the angels keep on flipping through baseball, through pitching coaches, it's you get drafted. There's a pitching coach that kind of has a set idea of how he wants the, everything to be ran from the top to the bottom. And then you get to double A, new pitching coach. Now he's changed top to bottom what he wants to do. You get to triple A. Oh, look, another pitching coach. You get to the majors, another pitching coach. So I think there is something about being having some kind of a, a steady voice when it comes to all that stuff. Is it Matt Weiss? I don't know. But I do think if you're just going to say that this guy can't be a pitching coach, he sucks, blah, blah, blah. Let's look at the talent also. 
let's see how much of the talent is can be worked. You're the the you're only as good as what you're working with. I I, I have a feeling that that is the best way of putting it. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Plain and simple. Pardon the French. But you do need to put players around good coaches, good players around good coaches to really see what this coach is available. He can't turn, you know, your average Joe from a Sunday league into a capable bullpen piece. There's no way. Angels do need to do better, need to do better of developing and scouting players to give those coaches, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, whatever, an opportunity to really develop their skills as coaches and develop their um, sense of um, program and what they want to do. And I think, again, Matt Weiss, I think, is a really good pitching coach. You can have, you can say what you want. Yes, this Elvis Proguero thing is a huge, huge nick against him, huge. And I totally understand that. But I think if you look over his whole body of work, you can't not just point out the negative. I think you need to point out the positive stuff too. And otherwise, I don't see why you would just point out the negative. He didn't do this. He didn't do this and never say what he did well. So that's kind of my two cents about that situation that came up this last uh, homestand, this last series against Chicago. But there is a very good chance you will see a lot of turnover at the coaching positions next season. But again, if Matt Weiss isn't returned as Angels pitching coach, I do believe he will go somewhere else and be a good pitching coach there. You see it all the time. And again, the Astros pitching coach left for Arizona. All of a sudden, the Astros pitching is still really, really good. And Arizona is still in the bottom of their division. What's the difference? Players. So Angels need to be better at getting players that can develop into something special. So we're running a little bit longer than normal. But again, there was a lot of things that happened today or this last couple days, I should say. And quick shout out, obviously, at the end of the month, if you if Shohei Otani and hopefully this comes out as you listen, if Shohei Otani isn't the player of the month, he should be the pitcher and player of the month. Let's give him a double. He should be a double dip. This is Shohei Otani's June, just June. He had a career-high game with eight RBIs. Very next day, career-high game, 13 Ks. He is in the, I believe he's, I think this is still active. 21 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings pitched. Earlier in the month, he had an 11-game hitting streak. He hit the hardest home run of his career at 118 miles per hour. That's at the plate for the most part. That's just at the plate. Besides the consecutive scoreless streak and the Ks, pitching-wise, 4-1 and one for the month. ERA for the month, 1.52. And his last offensive uh, stat on here, he has a 574 slug. If Shohei Otani does not win offensive player and pitching player of the month, I don't know what to tell you. This guy is the MVP. I know Judge is having a great year, but I think over the long run, the second half of the season, if Otani keeps develop, keeps doing what he's doing, I think he's a runaway um, MVP, even with Judge doing as well as he is. After the game on uh, Wednesday, 
again, every time this guy takes them out, he just makes more and more history. He became the third angel ever to pitch with zero earned runs and 30-plus strikeouts in a three-start span. And anytime you're on a list with guys like Nolan Ryan and John Lackey, that is one hell of a list, especially in like an Angels list. That is, you know, you look at some of the guys that the Angels have had uh, pitch for them, Bartolo Colon, who won a Cy Young with the Angels, not on this list. Um, Jared Weaver, probably the best pitcher in Angels history, or one of them, not on this list. Uh, Chuck Finley, not on this list. So anytime you're on a list with Nolan Ryan, John Lackey, and that's it, that is some historical stuff right there. So Shohei Otani should be the MLB Player of the Month and Pitcher of the Month. I think it's only right. So hopefully by the time this comes out on uh, July 1st, they'll have an announcement or shortly after that they'll have an announcement. So that's just about going to wrap it up for this podcast. And let's give a quick little um, pitching matchups for the series against the Houston Astros before we get out of here. Uh, Michael Lorenzen takes the mound, looking to bounce back. I talked about it earlier. His very, um, not very bad. That sounds really bad. But his not great (laughs) month of June. He's looking to bounce back in the month of July, taking on Christian Javier of the Astros. Um, Again, Astros are going to be a really good test. This is going to be a really, very good test for the Angels. They're not going to have... Um, obviously Otani to, you know, uh, bail him out, bail him out, I guess, if you will, um, in this series scene that he just pitched a couple days ago, at least on the mound, maybe, maybe offensively he will on Saturday. Saturday is a one o'clock game. Remember one o'clock game on Saturday is not a night game. Uh, angels have, uh, Patrick Sandoval on the round on the mound and Jose Arquiti is on the mound for the Astros. And you have Suarez, Jose Suarez, on the mound on Sunday. I kind of think, going back to the beginning of the podcast, we'll make it go full circle. They should almost start an opener just to say, hey, look, Seattle, we always do this. But we'll see how that plays out. Uh, He'll be on the mound against Falmer Valdez. So, again, Astros are very good. Their pitching is very, very good. Angels need to just avoid a sweep here. Yes, it would be great, great if they win two out of the three, but they need to avoid the sweep um, in Houston and go to um, Miami and hopefully get the two there. But, you know, we'll see how this plays. It's going to be a very, very good test in Houston. You know how um, it just seems like you get any kind of ball up in the air and it's going to travel, especially if you hit it down to left or right field. You got the Crawford boxes out and left, and then there's a short fence on right. And hopefully the Angels are able to take advantage of that. Right now, as we stand at the point of recording, Angels are 12 and a half games back of the division of the first place Astros. And in the wild card spot, they are four and a half games back with only with Texas, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland holding that last spot in the wild card. So again, four and a half games out of the last wild card spot. It's far from over, but they cannot have another eight for 18 months like they did. In the month of June, they need to start turning around and it needs to start in July and carry obviously past the all-star break. So we'll see how that plays out. We will have another podcast recording Sunday night 
and uh, that will come out on 4th of July, obviously a day off. So while you're with the family and enjoying uh, obviously some fireworks and some uh, barbecue, you know, or whatever, you can put on the podcast and uh, listen for a little bit and be careful with those fireworks. It, talking about a guy that just experienced a fire really close to the house. And um, granted, it wasn't from fireworks that we know of, but um, really wouldn't like to have to repeat that again on Monday night. So um, if you can do fireworks, be smart about it. Don't don't think like, hey, let's go out in the middle of the grass, um, even though there's trees all over the place. So be smart. We'll be back recording Sunday night. Always, if you have a question or you want to be on the podcast, you can always um, follow us on our Instagram and on our Twitter. That is Halo underscore Haven. Again, that's on Instagram and that's on Twitter. And if you just want to uh, leave a call for our, our voicemail line, that is open 24 hours a day, 951-384-0810. The number will be in description of this podcast. And if you lasted this long on the podcast, thank you very much. I know it's gone uh, a little bit longer than normal, but I feel like there's a lot of things to talk about, especially um, in this series. A lot of stuff happened on and off the field. Again, uh, any question, comment, or anything like that you want to put on the podcast, 951-384-0810. Please, again, subscribe, rate, review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, I ask for you, if you like what we're doing, if you if you it would really be great if, if you can write a review on the Apple podcast. It would mean a lot to uh, myself, especially to see the, the positive feedback we are getting um, through this podcast. So again, if you have opportunity, please do that. It takes about two minutes. Um, they're going to be honest. Sometimes when I write reviews is when I'm in the restroom, if you know what I mean. So um, definitely take the opportunity and do it. Uh, I would really, really appreciate it. And um just let's see what the angels do on this tough road trip against houston and hopefully they come out smelling like roses so that's going to be it for this edition of the all angels podcast i'm your host daniel garcia and have a great night Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. 
New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.